I'm Sheila Cast. Hope you're having a wonderful Thanksgiving. We're on the record. We're focusing this morning on a congressionally designated site that won John Oliver's Last Week Tonight National Museum contest. It's the art experience destination of choice for many locals and their visitors to Charm City. CNN has called it, quote, one of the most fantastic museums anywhere, close quote. We're talking about that sparkly, curvy, mosaic-mirrored, covered building in Federal Hill, Baltimore's own American Visionary Art Museum, dedicated to showcasing intuitive, self-taught artists. Rebecca Hofberger, AVAM's co-founder, director, and primary curator, stepped down last April after nearly three decades. Today is an encore presentation from September of our interview with Janine Whitfield. She had just moved from the Heidelberg Project in Detroit, the open-air, evolving arts environment where she worked for 28 years, the last five as president and CEO, to take on the leadership of AVAM. We talked about her background. She began her career as a banker. I asked her about it. <laughs> it's quite an interesting journey I've been on, actually. Yes, I was your typical um, young woman climbing the corporate ladder of success. And in 1991, I took a seemingly wrong turn down a polka dotted street and later learned after a conversation with the artist that it was known as the Heidelberg Project. Now that project changed my life because one year later, after 14 years with um, the banking world, I gave it all up to come and help the artist, whose name is Tyree Guyton, began this really wild journey. I have to say it that way because it was totally opposed to anything I had ever done. And um, our work just contributed to a great, great resurgence of art and creativity in the city of Detroit. And today it is known as a um, international treasure in the city of Detroit, the Heidelberg Project. So that's where I got my start in the art nearly 29 years ago. And art and creativity has also changed my life. And I should mention Tyree Guyton became your husband. He did. It took a minute. When when you were approached about becoming AVAM's second ever director, what, what did you know about AVAM? Well, I knew a, a little of AVAM's history because uh, when Rebecca started, she was closely in the same time frame that we were when we were involved with the Heidelberg Project. And our paths crossed through uh, just many different, um, I guess you could say, art initiatives but we had never met because our work is very similar in that we focus mostly on the visionary artists. So when Heidelberg Project was going through a series of fires in 2013 and 2014, Rebecca Hofberger wrote an amazing letter in support of our work. Some We've known about each other in that way. So I actually was um, suggested for the museum. I had no intention of leaving Detroit. And it was a common colleague at uh, the Kohler Foundation that put my name in the hat. And one thing led to another. But I think really the defining moment for me was when I came to Baltimore 
and spent those three hours in that museum, I was blown away. It touched me in a place that um, is just deep. It was so so profound to be in that museum. It does touch people. Yes. Um, Baltimore and Detroit, both post-industrial cities built for bigger populations than live in them now, so both confronting vacants and the challenges of poverty and crime. What comparisons do you see between the artistic communities in Detroit and Baltimore? Well, I think we're dealing with a lot of similarities that have stemming from social justice issues to expressions through art and not just in the visual forms. There's also poetry. People are speaking out. The bottom line is our times and our days, you know, that we've been spending, they're changing. We're in the the decade of change. So as we look at our big cities and our industrial cities, all of that is changing. And historically, artists have been the conduits to demonstrate and to talk about and to bring to light the fact that we are going to be shifting. Now, I know we talk about cities like Baltimore, Detroit. We talk about cities like Oakland, even Buffalo, New York. All of these cities have that common thread of the uh, post-industrial. But these are also cities that are highly African-American populated or people of color. And so there's been a lot of suppression in that regard. And so you just really see these voices rising up now. And I think what we're going to see is the arts are going to be a wonderful tool to help us deal with some very tough issues. That's the new director of the American Visionary Art Museum, Janine Whitfield, here on The Record on WIPR. I'm Sheila Cast. In September, Whitfield stepped into the job vacated by AVAM's founder and chief curator, Rebecca Alban Hofberger. Janine, AVAM is known for showcasing what some call outsider art or folk art. How do you describe it? I, des- I describe it as great art. Um, We dealt with that in Detroit, where you have a group of people that find it important and their roles to define categories of art. But if you talk to the artists, most artists will say it's just great art, whether they're trained or whether they're untrained. So I start with the fact that we're talking about art in general. Now, if you want to put categories on it, I don't use outsider artists. I don't even use folk artists because or folk art because that actually has its own kind of category that speaks to many, many different things, you know, from your heritage and things like that. I would rather speak about it from the visionary perspective or from the soul perspective, meaning that artists are creating from a deeper place, a place of need, a place of trauma, a place of justice, speaking a message, something that has to be done. And, you know, many artists create in that same vein, whether they're trained or not. Now, I just happen to think art critics need something to do. (laughs) So what they do is they categorize, but it's kept art elitist in many ways and draws lines of demarcation that I think are becoming more blurred today. 
So four weeks on the job, what are your early thoughts about your goals as AVAM's second ever director? Well, Rebecca laid a foundation that is really phenomenal. My focus is really to look inside. For example, our budget's pretty low. I want to change that because the accolades and what AVAM brings to the city of Baltimore is deserving of a top-notch staff with decent pay. And we want to hold on to our you know, wonderful staff. So I'm doing some reorganization or putting, the, the I guess, the legwork in place for looking at our staff, putting our arms around our staff, learning how to celebrate the people that help make that museum what it is today. And then I'm looking at how we can kind of um, bring more interest from our universities, from our corporate communities. You know, for me, I think what makes a city great is its own treasures, the things that people come to Baltimore specifically to see. But we've got to learn how to really support our treasures. So I'm looking at that as another aspect, connecting uh, community in a, in a bigger way. And then really building on that whole national congressionally designated, uh, what's the word, title. And looking at how we help others around the nation and the world to recognize this great treasure. And um, I'm really excited about the possibilities. I'm really happy to be here, too. Museums, even in a city like Baltimore that is majority black, can still be white spaces. How, how do you hope to adjust that? Well, you know what? There you go. Therein lies the beauty of art once again. In Detroit, with our work with the Heidelberg Project, the artist's motif was polka dots, various colors. And he actually created a polka dot house on Heidelberg Street, and he renamed it the People's House. So one of the things that we feel is really important is learning how to work together with the races. Look, I'm going to be frank with you and say, uh, and this is going to be tough for a lot of people to hear, but if you think about it, being born into wealth, how greater or worse is it than being born into poverty? In other words, what I'm saying is that Wealthy people have their place. They support things. That's a great thing. But I think we have to look at what the common thread is in all of us. And if you can help, help, because you have the means to. But there are other ways that we can, you know, socialize in a way where we can see our sameness at the same time, look at what it is that we possess that makes humanity stronger as a whole. So the whole idea of blending the colors and causing people to see their sameness is one of the ways in which I hope to begin to mix that pot up a little bit. Wish you the best, and thanks, thanks for talking to us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Janine Whitfield is just the second director of the American Visionary Art Museum, succeeding its founding director, Rebecca Hofberger. Whitfield comes to Baltimore from Detroit, where she led the innovative arts environment, the Heidelberg Project. Short break on the record, when we're back this Thanksgiving morning, we hear from the curator of AVAM's latest exhibit, Abundance, Too Much, Too Little, Just Right. I'm Sheila Cass, stay with us.
Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. It's Thanksgiving, a great day to reflect on a spot for which many Baltimoreans are grateful. The glittering complex of buildings surrounded by sculpture in Federal Hill, the American Visionary Art Museum. We revisited our conversation from September with AVAM's new director, Janine Whitfield, and heard some of her plans. Part of why we wanted to revisit that show today is what we hear next. Gage Branda, AVAM's curatorial and development coordinator, gave us a preview of the latest exhibit called Abundance, Too Much, Too Little, Just Right. Branda is a Filipino-American artist and educator. I asked him first where the idea for the exhibit came from. So uh, it was really spawned from this like pervasive sense of resource insecurity that I, I, I think a lot of people feel all the time, but uh, was exacerbated by, you know, supply chain crises. And, and uh, during the pandemic, really people kind of were confronted with what they don't have. And rather than looking at what we don't have, or like the lack of resources, I, I really am inspired by how people find solutions around uh, limitations. So the exhibition is really championing this like incredibly like human and natural gift that everyone has to meet limited circumstances with unlimited creativity whether that's artists who couldn't find canvases or paper so they work on old cardboard and pieces of, of trash or it's people who instead of working with traditional media like clay they want to work with aluminum foil or even um, like the visionaries in baltimore who sees the opportunity to take like the vacant lots throughout the city and put in hard work to make them viable uh, farms for locally grown natural food and also like potent community centers. Even though the title abundance brings about this idea of opulence, it's really not about that. It's, it's more so about finding solutions with what we have and, and the beauty in that and how really everyone does this even in little moments throughout their life. The show is called a mega exhibition and is described as a riotous visual feast. Talk about what visitors will see. So there are over 200 artworks in the show and visitors are going to come and see some really great, really thoughtful and excellently crafted artworks in in tons of different mediums. I mean, we're talking about like life-size animals crafted out of tinfoil, for example, one of my favorite pieces in the show. Uh, is a life-sized gorilla made out of tinfoil that is just so charming. Um, <laughs> and we, we have uh, six other pieces from that artist that have not been shown in a museum ever. Uh, there's really, really surreal and magical carved wood figures and furniture. Um, for example, there's this this artist in the show named Tilden Stone who carved like out of dark wood, really beautiful furniture where he would include details like rope or hammers or what looks like a bag. And it kind of tricks your eye because for a while you think, oh, you know, they hung a bag on that, on that drawer handle, but then you realize it's all carved out of wood. We pulled from our permanent collection some of my favorite Uh, walking sticks. So we have this collection of really colorfully painted carved wood walking sticks that are all done from from found wood. And it's interesting how these are all, most of the sticks are anonymous, 
but there is this pervasive motif of of snakes and hands and and figures on these sticks so one of my favorite walking sticks in the show is a wooden hand grasping a snake by its neck uh. that goes down and and that's really awesome and then there's this there's really beautiful embroideries super trippy embroideries from this guy out of the appalachias that just have things like the beatles and michael jackson and and different sorts of religious symbolism all over it's super colorful and and this artist sparky brown said that well when he wrote a letter to the museum before he sadly passed a few years ago but in that letter to the museum he said over his life he's probably stitched over a million stitches across shirts and hats and and random tapestries and it's it, it really is uh, a ton of artwork that I think anyone who likes making things will find something they like. Uh, there's pieces made out of buttons. There are things made out of beads and shiny little pins. And there's there's old steel that's been welded together into animal figures. There's a lot of wood carving, if you like wood carving. And then a lot of assemblages and collages that come together really beautifully into these compositions that I think everyone will just enjoy. Oh, and one of my favorite things that's in the show or favorite bodies of work in the show comes from Baltimore-based paper cut artist Rosa Leff. And we have about 10, maybe 12 of these really, really intricate paper cut city scenes huh. that you really just have to see to understand. And it, it's they all come from her travels like throughout the world, but also in Philly and Baltimore and, and the detail it's hard to even tell that it's not like an edited photograph until you you get up close to it. That's how accurate these wow. are. And they're just really, really beautiful. That's Gage Branda, curatorial and development coordinator at the American Visionary Art Museum. On the record on WIPR, I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about the latest exhibit called Abundance, Too Much, Too Little, Just Right. Talk about your process of curating such a huge body of work, 200 pieces. So the, the process started with looking at our permanent collection and finding all the gems that have not either never been shown that we have uh, housed here in our over 9,000 piece collection or uh, finding works that people really, really loved the first time and maybe haven't been seen since our opening uh, in 1995. So it started with that, mining this permanent collection and then there's a couple of artists that I've had my eye on who are still living visionary artists. And then I would reach out to them and reach out to their collectors and kind of had a conversation with different people who are invested in our mission, what we do, which is promoting not just artists, and but visionary thinkers who are self-taught or maybe have a different perspective on things than who, who look at things a little bit differently than, than the norm. And kind of getting getting an idea of what they think of when they think of abundance or what they value in, in an artwork. And really, after that, it just becomes, where can I find a connecting thread where all of these artworks can shine together uh, without losing some of their own individuality? So tell me more about some of the individual people involved in this show. <laughs> well, it, Something I love about the visionary artists that we tend to show is that they have really amazing stories. Um, some of them overcome what seem to be really, really intense traumas or, or difficulties that at first 
you think they're unique and then you kind of realize that you can find a kinship with them like visitors can find a kinship with them for example uh there's this artist in the show ella samuels who <laughs> whose dream was to become a boxing prize fighter now he left home at at eight to support himself he didn't go to school he he worked odd jobs around the country, like washing cars, farming, driving a truck. And then he moved to New York to pursue that dream of becoming a professional boxer. But he gave up his prize fighting career because he refused a mobster's order to lose a fight uh, intentionally. And then he started working as a tree surgeon. He moved back home and he was seriously injured. And while he was in a wheelchair, he got into this deep depression and he remembered this thing that his grandmother told him, which was to carve wood whenever he felt down and he began carving wood uh, like way, way, way late in life and really, really hit his stride. Um, that, that to me is a really interesting kind of trajectory for how someone finds art and uses it therapeutically. And I don't, his story sounds unique to me, but I don't think that, uh, I don't look at it as, as special. I think that there's a lot of people who are creative and lead beautiful lives and go through those sorts of difficulties. There's this other artist, Monica Valentine. She takes thousands of pins and puts them all over an abstract like foam form and they're covered in beads and they shimmer in the light and they're beautiful on their own. But what, what's really interesting is that she's sightless wow. and instead of using her vision to place these pieces, she can feel the color of these pins through a touch-based synesthesia. She That's feels a, the yeah. color. She feels the temperature and, and she knows what colors are which temperatures. And when, when you see these works in person, you'll be amazed at how well composed they are. It, it, it's just incredible. Why is showcasing work from artists like this important to you personally? I think that the lives that these artists have lived are incredibly interesting, but also, you know, the difficulties that many of them face are things that everybody faces some aspect of, whether that's losing, losing family in a tragedy or, or dealing with financial hardship. And in that, you kind of see these people who have made amazing things happen. I don't want to say in spite of that, but they've made these amazing things happen. And you're reminded, oh, I'm like them. Like, these are self-taught people. You don't need to go to eight years of art school to make something great. Or you don't need to be a brilliant engineer to figure out a solution to, to a, a food desert. You can just be someone who wants to do something and sees a need for something to happen, and then you make that happen. Th that's kind of the inspiration that I draw from these visionary artists, is that they are so compelled to make something that nothing can stop them. And I, I want to encourage that sort of intuitive and creative mindset in everyone's lives. So what do you hope visitors take away from Abundance? I just want people to go through this exhibit and have an opportunity to, to look at all, all these brilliant ideas and to have a moment to consult themselves and take measure of what they have and to reframe their perspective, to recognize the power that 
that they have to enact a more abundant world around them, however they want to define that. I, I hope that this exhibit encourages self-determination, even, even in a world fraught with inequity. The most natural thing to a person is to be creative. And creativity is power. Creativity is, is the ability to solve a problem, no matter what limits you have. And people deserve to recognize that in themselves. Wow. Thank you for this conversation. Thanks for, for putting this exhibit together. Thank you for, for having me. Gage Branda is the Curatorial and Development Coordinator at the American Visionary Art Museum. We've been talking about the mega exhibition, Abundance, Too Much, Too Little, Just Right. You can see it now through September 3rd of next year. And this weekend, AVEM's big arts and crafts, jewelry and sculpture sale, Bazart, is back. It takes place tomorrow from noon to 5 p.m. and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. We have more information at the On the Record page at wypr.org. I'm Sheila Cast. Thankful you're with us on the record. Have a warm and plentiful Thanksgiving holiday.